There is a podcast for everyone out there, but from the viewpoint of the male executive assistant, not so much. So here we go. Hello, ladies and hello, gentlemen. Welcome. I'm your host, Jonathan Brickwood, and I've been an assistant for more than 20 years. Being a man in what is decidedly a role filled by women has put me in some insightful, some hilarious, and certainly some very unique situations. During this podcast, I plan to share many of those experiences, as well as some of the tips and tricks and the do's and the don'ts that I've learned over the years, which is my way to bring a new perspective on an old profession. Whether you are a receptionist, a secretary, an executive assistant, somewhere above, below, or in between, retired, starting out, or mid-career, I hope that you find some enjoyment and something interesting from my ramblings. So please join me, ladies, and of course the gentlemen, as I bring you into my world, the world of the male admin, on my podcast, Hello Ladies, Perspectives from a Male Admin. Welcome back, and Happy New Year. We've made it through the holiday season, we've had some cookies, we've had eggnog, we've had fruitcake, and gifts. And now with all of that behind us, we can proceed slightly heavier on the waist, and slightly lighter in the wallet into 2024. This is the first episode of Season 2 of the podcast, Hello Ladies, Perspectives from a male admin. But first, I must offer up an apology. I had intended to release this episode on the 15th of January, but had a bit of a creative block, and so I didn't know what it was going to be about, and so it didn't get to go last week. But now that I've rectified that, I'm all steam ahead. To begin this year, I'm actually going to go back about 200 years and look at the start, the history, and the usages of CC and BCC. I will also be adding in a new feature, as I've been dabbling with ChatGPT recently and have decided to look at what it can do for the admin and how it might or might not work. I am also joining my company's trial of Microsoft's Copilot, which I will be poking around and likely report on as well. So for all my returning listeners, thank you for coming back. And to my new listeners, thank you for coming into my world. So now I bring you into that world, the world of the male admin. To begin this season, I look way back into the past, way, way back into the past. And yet, I think I can say this is something nearly the whole world knows about, and that would be CC and BCC, which we know are very common on all emails. But the CC has existed for more than two centuries before we even had computers. To understand why we have this on email, we need to go all the way back to 1801 and look at what the origin of the CC is. So to start, again, what exactly is the CC? Well, originally it was an exact duplicate of a document. 
and that was created by carbon paper. And the CC stands for carbon copy. In the days when all correspondence was physical, that either being using a paper and a pen or a typewriter, in order to produce those multiple copies of a document, either for multiple recipients or for filing, this carbon copy was made using said carbon paper. And that is where we get the modern CC from. An exact duplicate of a document, and in these modern days, an exact duplicate of an email, can be sent to someone whom they should know of, but not necessarily to whom it needs to be addressed. The term CC can also be termed courtesy copy, and that is perfectly acceptable. But to be pedantically accurate, CC is a carbon copy. To make a carbon copy, one used carbon paper. This paper was, or is, a thin piece of paper faced with a waxy black coating. It's this black coating from which the paper gets its name, as the blackness appears to the eye the same as carbon, such as off the tip of a pencil. When this paper is placed between two sheets of other paper, it's the pressure of writing on that top sheet which causes the black carbon to transfer onto the bottom sheet. The invention of carbon paper can be traced back to Italian inventor Pellegrino Turi in 1801. He also invented a form of typewriter, and it was for this typewriter that he developed the carbon paper to produce the ink necessary to use it. Carbon paper itself, though, was not widely used for copying until typewriters became common in the late 19th century. During the 1870s, the term carbon copy took on a new meaning, and that was primarily meaning to make a copy of a document. And this was either by hand or typed. The use of carbon paper in offices extended well into the 1980s, even into the 1990s. I remember in the early 2000s, in some of my very first jobs, that carbon paper was still being used for certain types of requisitions. Over time, carbon paper became integrated with certain types of forms, usually multicolored requisition forms, where you would write or type on the top sheet, and that sheet itself was imbued with carbon, so the sheet or sheets below would gain the imprinted text. And then one copy would be given to the person, one copy would be retained in the files, and the other copies would have other various uses. It was during this time, and primarily with the advent of computers in the 20th century, that the phraseology of carbon copy was shortened to CC, and it entered the realm of business jargon, specifically being used for correspondence. It is still common for a business letter to include, at the end, a list of names preceded by the abbreviation CC. But instead of actually producing a carbon copy, multiple copies are now just printed off. The use of carbon copies declined with the advent of photocopying and electronic document creation and distribution. Though you can still find carbon copies in special applications, such as in manual receipt books, or bank deposit books, or even some types of physical checks, 
all of which is to produce a duplicate copy. It was also at this time that the phrase blind carbon copy arrived, which by extension is a copy of the document sent to someone to whom the original addressees are not necessarily aware, hence they are blind. When carbon paper was used, the creation of a blind carbon copy was generally achieved by taking one of the carbon copies and feeding it back through the typewriter and adding the BCC on only that copy. Today, of course, the use of BCC is generally when you're sending a single email to large numbers of recipients, or to allow someone the information that they are being removed from an email chain without having to be concerned that they will still be getting all of the replies. Both of these topics I touch on in a little bit later. In preparing for this podcast, I decided to check on Amazon to see if they still sell carbon paper. Not surprisingly, they do. But it is marked as an art supply and not a business tool. The last time I handled a piece of carbon paper for business was probably over 10 years ago, as I don't remember when it actually was. Though I do still handle embedded carbon paper books for various purposes, though I would be hard-pressed to actually have a reason to purchase or use any physical carbon paper. If anyone is interested in getting their hands dirty, though, rest assured that there is still carbon paper out there and available for sale. Returning, though, to the usages of CC and BCC in emails, we all use this practically daily. With so much of all business correspondence done these days via electronic means, with a 2021 study putting daily correspondence of email at around 83% in the United States, the use of actual carbon paper has become nearly non-existent. At least it has for me. So the CC has become a method of providing recipients information without having them feel the need to reply, or at least that is how I intend it to be used. When I first started to use email in business, I was instructed that the CC line was for those who needed to know the information, but didn't need to act on the information. Only if an action was required, should they be placed in the two line, and for most purposes, this is still how I treat the CC line today. When I'm sending information or requests to my executive and their direct reports, I usually place them all in the two line. When I'm requesting information from one of my executive's direct reports, but I need my executive to know or be copied on the reply, they are added to the CC line. Which brings me to usages of the BCC line, a very useful, but both under and overused. I say both under and overused because I think that there has become a rather cavalier attitude about the use of the BCC line. I myself use it sparingly. If I'm sending out a mass email, I will absolutely use the line. I will also use BCC when I'm sending a reminder email to several members on the team, but don't want each of them to know who the others were who also needed the reminders. Also, as I said earlier, I use the BCC line to remove someone from an email trail that no longer needs to be included in the correspondence, but whom I also wanted to let know that I have actioned their request. Outside of these, I rarely, if ever, use BCC. 
I know many people do use the BCC to provide real-time updates to somebody else at the same time as the intended recipient, but I have found that this can lead to two distinct issues. First, that there is always the possibility that the BCC person might reply all and include the original recipient in the email. And since there was likely a specific reason as to why the sender would not have openly copied them, this now opens up all sorts of issues. The second is that if the BCC is to an external recipient, that the company may have an auto-generated confidentiality footer that is added to the whole email. And if that singular internal recipient were to receive this email and see this external footer, and then that would equally open up similar issues. It's for both of these reasons why I won't use a BCC when I want to provide information to someone else. Instead, I will just forward the original email to them separately, usually including a quick opening note or just leaving the email to speak for itself. Through this, there will never be a chance that the BCC recipient would accidentally include the to recipient in their own reply. So recently, I've been dabbling into the world of generative AI. In our office, one of the members of the team is keeping a close eye on the various iterations and its impact and uses. So I've started to look into what exactly it can and cannot do, and how good it is at what it can. Alongside this, our company has started a trial use of Microsoft's Copilot, which is an integrated AI in Office 365, or OS 365, which I've signed up to be a part of. So I will probably be touching on that in coming episodes. By returning to my experiments and experience with ChatGBT, it's fun to play around with, and I can absolutely see the significant benefits of using it. But it still has some learning to do, especially in terms of humanization. Now, whether that is something which takes us towards the Skynet of Terminator 2 type of AI, or towards the computers of Star Trek in terms of AI, only time and caution will tell. But until we're burned or until we're built, I'll cautiously dabble with chat GPT. GPT. I do tend to say GBT, and uh, I think it's just the way that my mouth is working around these letters. But my initial interaction with chat GPT was interesting. One of the first questions I asked it was, who would be monarch of the United Kingdom if Queen Elizabeth II had not been born? Now, a human response would be to look back into the ancestral tree and trace it back and around to come up with what would likely have been the answer of Princess Margaret as queen. But ChatGPT has decided that children can still exist if their parents do not, and ChatGPT's response to that question was, Prince Charles would likely be king. I sent my feedback to OpenAI, and perhaps in a future iteration it will be able to understand how that response is just a slight bit flawed. However, pressing on and returning to topic, I did ask ChatGPT to write me a cover letter as a senior executive assistant, and I was neither impressed nor disappointed with its results. 
I have put the full text of the letter in this week's description if you wish to read it. As I read through the letter, I felt it lacked a certain humanized quality. It was well-written and certainly covered all the points of a good cover letter, and had I been doing the hiring and read it, I probably would have looked at the resume. But I found that the letter also said too many of the correct things. It had no variation, and it looked like it was trying too hard to impress. Going further, the letter had all the hallmarks of practically being ghostwritten, and that brings itself up the issue that when you find yourself in the interview and you don't live up to the expectation of your letter, what then will the hiring manager think other than something is a little bit fishy? Now, I'm not saying that it's not something we can use as a tool, but right now that's what it is. It is still a tool. It can make things better or easier or simplify complicated tasks and even help us with mundane ones. But relying too heavily on the tool could make us poorer performers where all we've ended up doing is proofreading rather than composing. But these are just my initial thoughts on AI. And as I dabble deeper and look closer and use it more robustly, I'm sure I will have more to offer in terms of views and positioning on the usefulness of this intelligence. Well, we've made it to the end of this first episode of the second season, and I will have many topics planned in the coming weeks, and I will also resume video content as well, which is something that fell off during the holidays. I haven't yet developed a full list of topics for the next episodes, but given today's topic of AI, I thought it might be interesting to see what ChatGPT would come up with in terms of topics for me. So I posed the following question. Can you provide me with a list of podcast topics for a podcast about executive assistants hosted by a male executive assistant? And it gave me a list of 20 things, which are as follows. Introduction and background. A day in the life interviews with fellow executive assistants, tech tools for efficiency, navigating gender stereotypes, career advancement strategies, handling difficult situations, professional development, balancing work and life, networking and building relationships, effective communication skills, mindfulness and wellness, time management techniques, remote work challenges and solutions, leadership skills for executive assistants, professional etiquette and protocol, celebrating success stories, industry-specific insights, book reviews and recommendations, and listener Q&A. Now, I've touched on some of these already, but we'll certainly look into tackling some of the others. I especially like the chat GPT's introduction to me when it provided me that list, which said, hosting a podcast about executive assistants from the perspective of a male executive assistant can offer a unique and insightful angle. And I couldn't have agreed more. So I want to thank you for continuing to join me on this journey and for joining me in my world. And until we meet again, have a wonderful week. I'm Jonathan Brickwood, and this has been the perspective of a male admin.